So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, I just love Thursdays, David. I love Thursdays too, Nate. This is a highlight of my week. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, you know, in just a few minutes, we're going to get to our guest, and I, it's it's a, we've already recorded the, the interview, and it's freaking fabulous. It's a must fabulous. hear, yeah. Abs- just absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Uh, but, but before we get there... Let us uh, acknowledge the fact there may be those of our listeners who, watching the news, saw mm-hmm. that we had some uh, severe weather activity in our part of the country. Yeah, some pretty terrible uh, uh, weather um, Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Yeah, I slept through it. Yeah. Uh, the, the storm actually tracked north of Franklin. You were much closer to the devastation than I because you live in Nashville now. Yeah, living downtown. Um, it was. I slept... Through most of it, it was sad because, you know, we have the tornado sirens in uh, downtown, mm-hmm. and they were going off like crazy. Wind was hitting my building windows like yeah, yeah. crazy, and my dog was pacing. You yeah. know, she was just going crazy, and um, I thought, oh, we must be having a thunderstorm. And right. I roll back over, and then on, you know, when I wake up the next morning and I look on the news, um, you know, within two miles of uh, north and two miles uh, east of my building, um, neighborhoods were just flattened. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Trendy, upcoming, renovated, yeah, wonderful, historic oh, areas. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. East Nashville. Uh, just so much loss. And the rural counties. And the rural counties east of town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Allie was awake, uh, and she once, once uh, she saw... You know, she she caught wind that there. You know, the, mm-hmm. she was up really for the for the rest of the night. Yeah. I got the news when I woke up in the in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm so proud of our community. From what I understand, that you know, the toughest part of going to East Nashville yesterday was fighting the crowds to get in to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, volunteer websites set up to take volunteer names have crashed <laughs> because there's so many people. You know, we're the volunteer state. Yeah, yeah. And so many people wanting to help, they've crashed the websites I, trying to get. I saw, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, not a friend, but an acquaintance, uh, you know, Eric Peters, his house had gotten nailed. Mm. Hit. He's a singer-songwriter, yeah. right? right? Young, yeah. with a young family. And, mm-hmm. and you know, somebody put up a, a fundraiser, let's raise $60,000 for... Uh, Eric, and uh, within I want to say certainly within 24 hours and maybe before that, mm-hmm. you know they'd ex- they were I think we'd raised almost ninety thousand dollars and a thousand people had given. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, amazing, yeah. yeah, yeah, it it is, and and people 
um, uh, some of the cool restaurants in the communities that were so damaged mm-hmm. have opened up food trucks and food bars, you know, yeah. the, uh, the barbecue places are out there serving free barbecue sandwiches to the people helping, yeah. um, you know, just, um, whatever people can do, people are wanting to be a part of it. I have seen this phenomenon before in South Florida, mm. uh, post hurricane. I remember after I've, I've, I've heard people speak, um, wistfully about the wonderful days after Hurricane Andrew, mm-hmm. when suddenly neighborhoods, neighbors got introduced to each other. Mm-hmm. People have been living on the same street forever. Now yeah. are all in the same spot, and they're yeah. coming out and, and helping each other, and this, this sense of togetherness that comes up in the wake of a disaster. Isn't yeah. that odd that sometimes it takes, some, it takes a horrendous event mm-hmm. for us to get out of ourselves? Yeah. And into the lives of other people. Yeah, get our minds off of our differences, yeah. you know, in our society today. I um, don't think that uh, too many people were asking each other who they were voting for. <laughs> That's a great point. Um, I love that. Right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, and because, you know, it was Super Tuesday It was in Tennessee. Super Tuesday. The morning broke, it was time to yeah. vote, but suddenly something else was more important. Yeah, it was all of a sudden I... I am pretty sure we were thinking a little differently. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's great. All right, well, I, I love it when, you know, the paradigm shifts, which is why I just absolutely love the interview that we're going to go ahead and play uh, play now. Yeah. There, uh, this, uh, it's a subject oft neglected, mm-hmm. and our guest, eminently qualified and highly articulate, brought light uh, in, in a way that i, I got to tell you, I'm thinking entirely different. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast, and today David, we are going to talk about a topic that everybody can relate to. Yes. Uh, but but you have managed to bring along, to inform us on this topic, somebody who knows far more about it than any of the rest of us. Right. And um, I was invited to a Lunch and Learn uh, about uh, a month ago, I guess, and uh, a treatment center here in Nashville, a couple of treatment centers that I work with and refer to, um, uh, sponsored the lunch, and the topic was on sleep ah, and recovery, okay. and sleep and how it affects our bodies, and how all that plays into all the ways that we all um, abuse ourselves without realizing <laughs> it. Uh, by the way, we sabotage ourselves with our sleep sure. most okay. of the time, uh-huh. and so uh, the way it plays into recovery is. Uh, interesting, but um, Dr. Brian Wind from Journey Pure and from Stonewater uh, Treatment Center in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, uh, Journey Pure is here in in Nashville, in the mm-hmm. greater Nashville area, out uh, just outside of Murfreesboro. Uh, Dr. Wind uh, and I have known each other for two or three years now with referrals and things that we do together and. Um, I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to get him to come on and talk to us about what he shared at this lunch because it was very interesting and helpful. 
Well, and doc- I realized that I set myself up for a terrible night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Wind, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. So uh, before we venture into the big issue of sleep, right. one of the things that we like to do with our guests is get a little bit of their personal story, the long and winding road that got you into talking about sleep from the angle of and with the dimension of recovery, what's your connection with recovery? Yeah, so my training is in clinical psychology. Okay. Um, that is my background. Um, by happenstance, by the moon and the stars aligning <laughs> just the right way, by family history and various other factors, I don't mind sharing with you that I'm in recovery myself. Okay. Um, alcohol was my issue. All right. Uh, if I make it until Saturday, uh, it be 17 years, wow. actually, that I've been Fantastic. in recovery. Congratulations. Yeah, and uh, a day at a time, a couple mm-hmm. more days, I, I hope to get there to that 17-year mark. Yeah. So that's probably the single greatest and most important event in my life, quite frankly. Mm. Um, Some people might push back on that and say, well, you have a son. Is he not important? Was the birth of him not one of the most important events in your life? And absolutely, certainly an important event in my life. But without my recovery, uh, none of the other stuff in my life would be possible. So the foundation in my life is my recovery. Yeah. Um, along the way, I developed an interest in sleep disorders medicine mm-hmm. and uh, did a postdoctoral fellowship uh, with some folks in the Middle Tennessee area, and we grew a sleep disorders medicine practice substantially and became one of the biggest in Tennessee with multiple locations, mostly around the Middle Tennessee area, and just absolutely loved the field from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody sleeps, so yeah. it's always a hot topic, yeah, as we yeah. discussed before, um, with, without uh, uh Without question, um, anytime I would mention, you know, what I did for a living, there would be a long litany of questions about what happens if this occurs during sure, sleep, sure, what sure. happens if mm-hmm. uh, my spouse does this or my child does this, um, what does it mean if I'm tired all day long, um, various right. different questions that would invariably come up as part of normal discussions, and I always enjoyed answering those questions mm-hmm. for people, um, treated tens of thousands of patients as part of our practice over the course of the 13 years that I did sleep disorders medicine as a primary role. Mm-hmm. I did addiction treatment on the side, um, kind of a heart mission, um, my real passion uh, behind the scenes for those years. And then several years ago, uh, felt a calling to kind of flip the script on that and to mm-hmm. get into addiction and recovery uh, treatment um, full-time, and I still do sleep consulting work on the side. So I they've see. both been passions of mine, mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. they're much more related than most people would think. Right. Yeah, talk to us about that. Talk to us about the connections, if you would, between recovery and sleep. Absolutely. So there are several different uh, avenues by which you can explore the connection between um, recovery and sleep. Um, Number one, um, insomnia, for example, which is one of the primary sleep disorders and quite frankly, one of the most common sleep disorders. It's difficulty getting to sleep or staying asleep or both, Mm -hmm. usually associated with distress or impairment in functioning during the day. So there are consequences to it, in other words. It's a very, very common disorder. In, in our culture. Um, insomnia is a normal human reaction to stress. So people are very likely to have difficulty sleeping at some point in their adolescent adult lives mm-hmm. uh, throughout the span of their development. 
Um, well, people don't typically passively accept difficulty sleeping, so mm -hmm. they tend to look for a solution, which is understandable, and oftentimes the solution that they fall back on is either medicating the insomnia by way of consultation with a competent provider, um, or self-medication, which mm -hmm. is much more common, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and those of us who suffer from the human condition um, have a tendency to go back for more when mm -hmm. something provides a sense of relief and ease and comfort in right, our lives. Right, right. So what we oftentimes see is that people might lean on alcohol or prescription medications or various other types of solutions uh, from a pharmacologic standpoint to try to solve their insomnia issues. On the flip side, people who uh, go through addiction treatment, for example, and come out on the other side um, typically have um, some of the wreckage of their past to clean up, as we say in the recovery mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a stressful event, um, re-entering the real world from treatment, um, a lot of things to clean up, um, getting back into work, managing relationships, um, financial stressors, parenting, um, so on. Um, those stressors can often cause problems with insomnia in addition to the neurological differences that have kind of occurred in their brains as part of the brain disease that we know as addiction. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we'll see people that describe some of these problems appropriately to their medical providers and a well-intentioned medical provider in an effort to provide a sense of relief might end up prescribing something that may or may not be uh, the best idea for a person in early recovery. I see yeah, it yeah, all yeah. the time. A good yeah, example yeah. of that uh, might be a, a, a family of drugs called benzodiazepines. Yeah. That would be your Xanax, your Valium, your mm -hmm. Ativan, et cetera. Um, I'm benzodiazepine prejudiced as a disclaimer because <laughs> I think there could be a person who does not have an addictive bone in their body that develops physiological dependencies on that family of drugs. Yes. And mm -hmm. over time, they need more of it to get the same effect. We call it tolerance. Mm -hmm. And when they don't take it, they get what we call withdrawal. Their mm -hmm. body wants more of it to get back to sleep, to stay asleep, um, to feel like life is okay and feel a sense of balance. So mm -hmm. they'll have withdrawal symptoms that feel like anxiety because they are anxiety symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, very closely mimic those types of symptoms. So they become dependent on this, uh, both from a physiological standpoint and perhaps more importantly, from a psychological standpoint. I'll never get to sleep without this, right? Yeah. Um, and it becomes a major force in their lives. And, and, and certainly for our people in early recovery, it can be a gateway back into kind of a pattern of relapse mm -hmm. that can become a chronic pattern. Uh, Brian, is it true that the benzos work uh, on the same, I guess, neuropathways or neurotransmitters as alcohol? Well, you know, what it becomes about really most importantly to me is certain parts of the brain that become hijacked by the person who is um, struggling with active addiction. So whether it's alcohol or benzodiazepines or opioids, um, first and foremost, the frontal lobe of the brain kind of goes offline. The frontal mm -hmm. lobe of the brain is only important for things like insight and judgment and decision making mm -hmm. and empathy and those mm -hmm. types of things. Um, what takes over with regard to the brain's functioning is um, really driven as a dopaminergic type thing, the limbic system, and it all becomes about seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. Mm. So that part of the brain really gets hijacked regardless of 
of the type of substance. And right. quite frankly, it doesn't even have to be about a substance. This mm. is the part of brain that is also lit up, by the way, by things like gambling, spending, really good food, sex. Um, sexual encounters, all of those types of exciting, titillating things mm -hmm. to us as human beings mm -hmm. in life um, that really light up that pleasure-seeking kind of pathway. And um, so you're absolutely right, David. That okay. same part of the brain. Yeah. And, and I have clients that will tell me they need a glass or two of wine to help them sleep. Mm -hmm. Answer that little uh, dilemma. Yeah, that is a great question. There is literature out there, great literature actually, that shows that alcohol can have a sedative hypnotic effect. In other words, it can be helpful with regard to getting somebody off to sleep for about four to seven days. Mm -hmm. So a week or less, mm -hmm. alcohol can be helpful. Um, however, it's helpful mainly with the initiation of sleep, the getting to sleep piece. Mm -hmm. um, it is not helpful with, especially long term, the mm -hmm. staying asleep part. Mm -hmm. So it might be a temporary solution to have a drink or have two drinks to help get to sleep. But long term, alcohol is awful for our sleep. It mm -hmm. fragments the sleep. It changes what we call sleep architecture, the mm -hmm. sleep stages that we go through and are mm -hmm. supposed to cycle through typically as part of a normal sleep phase, um, such that as the alcohol processes out of the system, the body starts to have what we call arousals during sleep, these little miniature awakenings from sleep. And really what that is, it's kind of a, a, a microcosmic type withdrawal process where the body is kind of waking up and arousing during the night and wanting more of that substance, in this case alcohol, mm -hmm. to get back to sleep again. So sleep becomes fitful, fragmented, core body temperature is impacted, melatonin release, it's a natural hormone that's released by a gland in the brain called the pineal gland is impacted by this, and it is a bad long-term solution. Mm -hmm. And is that related to what we'd call post-acute anxiety, uh, that the alcohol at bedtime, let's say, can produce uh, when you wake up, you're more anxious than you were when you went to sleep. Absolutely. And that's really that phenomenon I was describing related to benzodiazepines mm -hmm. as well. Um, when our body has a substance start to process out of it and the body starts screaming for more, mm -hmm. give me more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, some of the symptoms that you might see as part of that kind of acute withdrawal process as the substance processes out are things like increased heart rate, increased respiration rate, blood pressure might go up, mm -hmm. um, core body temperature changes happen, all of those things that look and feel like withdrawal, because really, quite frankly, they are kind of a miniaturized version of a withdrawal process. Mm -hmm. So what do we as human beings do when we experience that discomfort and dis-ease, um, mm -hmm. we want to find a sense of relief. And, and of course, the quickest pathway to finding a sense of relief is to go back to the substance that we perceive as having provided that relief in the first place. So right. we might go back and have another drink. We might go back and break off another little piece of a, of a Xanax bar mm -hmm. or whatever it might be um, that we were going to as, right. our, uh, as our drug of choice in that moment, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, can why is sleep important? What happens while we sleep that is essential to a good quality of life? 
Boy, that is a great question. Um, so sleep, generally, we'll talk just a bit about what sleep is. It's obviously a state of rest. Um, mm -hmm. Physiological systems uh, are, in theory, to slow down. So respiration rate slows down. Your core body temperature has some key changes that happen. Most bodily functions actually go into what I would call idle mode. Mm -hmm. However, your brain remains very active during sleep, and it's performing some critical and essential functions for us as human beings. Um, the replenishment of certain neurochemicals, I'll give you an example, serotonin is mm -hmm. one. So things like mood regulation, regulation of anxiety, memory, storage of short-term memory into long-term memory. The body does a lot of things related to reparation. So repairing aches and pains and those types of things. Um, during deep sleep, two hormones, leptin and ghrelin, are regulated. Those directly control our metabolism. So when people aren't sleeping well and their hormones get dysregulated, the metabolism can slow, which can in turn cause weight gain. So mm -hmm. all of these various different things um, are critical functions that happen during sleep. And I always tell people there are three key questions to ask about your sleep that are so important. Um, how do you sleep? How much do you sleep? And when are you sleeping? Hmm. The how, the how much, and the when. Those are kind of the three summary questions. And what I mean by those questions are with regard to the how, um, are you snoring? Is your sleep fitful or fragmented? Um, yeah. Are you tossing and turning during the night? Do you have limb movements that happen, leg jerks, um, other types of phenomena during sleep mm -hmm. that are disrupting or fragmenting your sleep pattern? Um, the how much question, question number two, um, has to do with a cultural phenomenon we have in our industrialized society that is becoming more and more 24-7, like a lot of others around the world, in which we engage in something called behaviorally induced insufficient sleep syndrome. We just don't allow enough time for sleep, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. um, in the United States, we average about six hours a night. That's actually the threshold, according to the newest scientific literature, um, for having health problems. If you go below six hours on average per night, you are at substantial risk for various different types of health problems. Wow. Um, Japan, uh, actually, um, not too long ago, was the worst. Um, they averaged about five hours per night mm. and noticed all types of problems coming up as part of a health-related health, health cultural risks um, with regard to blood sugar, uh, blood pressure, heart disease, reflux, depression and anxiety, attention and focus problems, etc. Um, and a lot of that was contributed to their cultural phenomenon of behaviorally induced insufficient sleep syndrome. Then you have the third question, the when. Um, when we sleep is actually critical. We are built as human beings to uh, sleep at night when it's dark and be awake during the day, during daylight hours. So we have a lot of people, I believe uh, 20 some odd percent of our workforce are what we would call shift workers. Right. They work second or third shift or maybe some combination. Um, the absolute worst is doing rotating shifts. So they oh, might yeah. work <laughs> third shift for, you know, a month and then flip over to first shift for the next month and mm -hmm. then flip back and do a combination of second and third shift. Um, there are parts of the brain that are responsible for regulating our clock, if you will, mm -hmm. our master clock that controls our circadian rhythms. 
Um, these components are housed in a part of the brain that has a really cool name, the superchiasmatic nucleus that houses our master <laughs> clock. I love saying that name. <laughs> um, and really, when we move our sleep schedule around so substantially, even if we're not doing shift work per se, but other circadian rhythm disorders like jet lag, that's mm -hmm. a circadian rhythm disorder. Um, teens and adolescents are, have the night owl syndrome called right. delayed sleep phase syndrome, where they go to bed really late and then they sleep away half the day, mm -hmm, uh, right. that type of thing. Um, these all impact the when uh, of our sleeping patterns and um, have a direct impact on the quality and quantity of our sleep as a result of that. Um, so shift work actually has a lot of consequences, is very dangerous. We need to pay attention to things like jet lag, which mm -hmm. is a real disorder, um, and those circadian rhythm disorders that are common in certain age demographics, like the delayed sleep phase syndrome or night owl syndrome in teens and adolescents. And then as we get older in the older adult population, you see the inverse version of that called advanced sleep phase syndrome. So mm -hmm. you might see folks who are in nursing homes or assisted living facilities who go to bed exceedingly early. Mm. And then they wake up really, really early in the morning. So mm -hmm. you'll get some older folks who wake up at 2, 3 in the morning. They're eating breakfast at 4 a.m. Uh, they're eating lunch by mid-morning, mm -hmm. uh, dinner early afternoon yeah, to mid-afternoon. And, uh, yeah. you know, by 7, 8 o'clock at night, um, they're in bed and asleep. So their yeah. sleep phase kind of moves earlier in the day, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of these things really speak to, though, going full circle to your question, um, how we will function as human beings, um, our physical condition, potential medical conditions, and, of course, mental and emotional consequences to um, poor quality or quantity of sleep. And, and then, of course, the timing of our sleep, again, is so critical as well. Okay. All right. Uh, Brian, does... Uh, Sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. Does alcohol uh, use at bedtime or uh, substances at bedtime impact the likelihood of sleep apnea, or mm -hmm. uh, how you'll how you'll acquire uh, potentially that disorder? Is that is there a correlation with that? Absolutely, there is, um, and I'll give you just a brief snapshot of what sleep apnea is for the listeners who may mm -hmm. not be familiar with it. Um, they're probably more familiar with it than they think, mm -hmm. um, but the word apnea is actually from the Greek, meaning want of breath. Mm -hmm. um, so sleep apnea is a repeated stoppage in breathing or reduction in breathing during sleep, and it happens most often due to an obstruction, hence the name obstructive sleep mm -hmm. apnea. Now, as we drift off to sleep, the muscles in our body relax. That includes the muscles around our upper airway or throat area in people with apnea as they drift off to sleep and those muscles relax that upper airway collapses down the air channel narrows and you get a vibratory effect that we know in here is snoring mm -hmm. so snoring is a version of sleep apnea make okay. no mistake okay um, now with that then of course when the airflow is decreased comes a corresponding oxygen drop so the oxygen level in the blood drops the brain senses this and really 
releases norepinephrine into the bloodstream. Um, norepinephrine is kind of a flight or fight response and, and, and um, gives us a little kickstart awake. It's our brain's way of saying, hey, wake up and breathe. Mm. So we get these, again, miniature arousals during the night, and you'll hear somebody kind of snort and gasp and carry on, and then they'll mm-hmm. kind of drift back toward deeper sleep again, and this happens over and over and over again in cycles. Mm-hmm. So with that process going on, David, imagine what happens if somebody sedates themselves with alcohol or with a prescription medication. Um, The muscles around that upper airway are prone to relaxing in a way that might make their snoring and or apnea Uh, particularly difficult, Mm -hmm. (laughs) particularly Mm -hmm. for their bed partner, too. We don't think about that very much, but Mm -hmm. imagine being uh, feet or inches away from someone who's snoring loudly and having these disruptions in breathing. Um, There's what sounds like an exciting and titillating name for it, but it's not. It's called spousal arousal syndrome in the (laughs) literature. and (laughs) It really means that you're arousing your bed partner from sleep as part of the snoring and, and, and breathing process that you have going on during the night. But with the sedating effect of alcohol and certain prescription medications, um, even with things like diphenhydramine, Benadryl, which people take very, very commonly for sleep, Mm -hmm. um, that can actually increase the uh, severity of apnea and the frequency of the apnea during the night. And certainly we see um, increases in decibel volume of the snoring as well associated with that. Yeah. Yeah. I've been known as a champion snorer. Uh, and I thought my wife was exaggerating until mm-hmm. my oldest son suggested that I uh, download a snoring monitoring app mm-hmm. on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I saw that I was scoring very highly on this. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, you know, <laughs> I was hitting epic. Now, I don't know. I've, I've experienced a lot of improvement in the last five weeks. I don't know how much of that is due to the fact that about five weeks ago I decided to stop drinking. So uh, that's something new for me. Uh, Along with that, I have lost a considerable amount of weight. So I'm down, geez, close to 20 pounds. Um, But I noticed now, man, that snoring score is really improving, and I'm noticing on another sleep monitoring app that I have that – my percentage of deep sleep is uh, almost Going doubled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks so I'm getting um, um, the quality of my sleep is improving. The amount of my snoring and the the uh, you know the the loudness, the decibel mm-hmm. rating on my snoring is decreasing. Uh, I do seem to be a little a, a lot more alert and awake when I wake up in the morning. How much of that is due to? Would you say uh, that I stopped drinking? How much to do is is weight loss a part of this? Absolutely. You sleep better yes. when you lose weight? Yes. So, as I mentioned, apnea is all about the upper airway collapse. Right. Um, when we gain weight, um, one of the first places we tend to gain it's kind of in our face and neck. Right. You ever yep. seen an old friend you haven't seen yeah, in yeah. a good number of years and, you know, they've gained a few pounds and you think, boy, they look look like they've gained weight. It's yeah, kind of yeah, puffy. Yeah. Their yeah, neck yeah, is yeah, thick yeah. and right, those types yeah. of things. Well, believe it or not, the base of the tongue is infiltrated with fat and oh. it thickens up as well. So along with our neck circumference thickening up, right. the base of the tongue thickens. The soft palate is sometimes thick. Uh-huh. Um, so the airway gets restricted or crowded, as right. we say in the sleep business. Okay. So now your airway is smaller, so it has even more of a predisposition 
to collapse when the muscles relax around that airway at night. So yeah. people who are overweight or have a thick neck, yeah. a, a big neck circumference, who have certain um, architectural characteristics about their upper airway, a big, thick, yeah. soft palate, yeah. um, big tonsils that are still in, a thick yeah. tongue base, it's called macroglossia. People who have a certain jaw structure, it's called retrognathia, where the jaw placement is back a little bit uh -huh. and that type of thing, yeah, yeah. Um, all sets that airway way up to be predisposed towards snoring and sleep apnea being a factor. So there are physiological characteristics that can make one more prone to having snoring and apnea in their lives. On top of that, if you throw a few cocktails in, right. um, it's going to, as we discussed a minute mm -hmm. ago, increase a predisposition toward that sedative hypnotic effect right. and is going to increase the severity and the frequency of the snoring and apneic episodes. Um, so there's always going to be an inverse correlation between yeah. Between snoring and your quality of sleep. So as your snoring is going down, the quality of your sleep should be going up, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's exactly what you're saying. So even losing five or 10 pounds can change the dynamic of your breathing during sleep. And yeah. I think you're seeing that not only in terms of your subjective experience, right, what you're reporting right, right. in terms right. of your functioning during the day, but also a little bit of objective evidence by way of these really cool digital technologies now that are able to measure the decibels of your snoring right. and the depth of your sleep. So yeah. I think you're seeing yeah. some um, some positive results from what sound like some really great decisions for you. You know, I've got to give props to David here. David and I are good friends, and we meet regularly, and we talk regularly. So we meet at least weekly. And it was a few weeks ago when I uh, talked to him. I had just downloaded the snoring app and got the uh, – gotten the bad news that it really <laughs> my wife was not lying to me and I had believed for years that I had to have a couple of beers to sleep mm -hmm. that was part of my nighttime routine drink mm -hmm. to go to sleep and David challenged me on it and said that my thinking was screwed up and that uh, it would I really should uh, rethink my nighttime alcohol consumption well yeah, and uh, so I took advice. So there you I go. Thought my, I thought I would be depriving myself of something <laughs> that was necessary, that the, my quality of life was going to decline, and instead uh -huh. it improved. That, yeah. See? That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that highlights really um, what we were talking about um, at the beginning of our time together today around our society's tendency toward insomnia, difficulty right. sleeping. Um you know, I think that um, it's such a common thing. In fact, the literature supports it. Um, there was a well-known researcher in the sleep medicine field a number of years ago that did a study that estimated as many as 52% of Americans will meet diagnostic criteria for insomnia at some point in their adult life. That is wow. a staggering number. Wow. And as, uh, you know, I mentioned previously, uh, you know, you don't hear those kind of statistics around diabetes and heart disease and lung disease, et cetera. Over half of Americans will meet diagnostic criteria for insomnia at some point in their adult life. So it's very common. And this, again, is part of our society. Um, you just don't see this, for example, in third world countries. Their primary problem is not that they can't sleep. I mean, mm -hmm. they have just a very different set of problems. Now, what are the factors in that? 
various factors. Again, we're moving more and more toward a 24-7 type society. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Let's face it, our technology tools um, do us zero favors in yeah. the sleep department. Yeah. Um, you know, right, light right. exposure at bedtime, well, that, uh, dinging I, on the nightstand, etc. Totally want to talk about that mm-hmm. because I, true confessions here, Nate's stepped forward. I'll step forward now. Okay. okay. Uh, I have the worst habit of taking my phone to bed mm-hmm. and pretending like I'm relaxing while I look through all my email and look at my social media one more time to make sure, you know, that mm-hmm. everybody knows I'm still alive. And yeah. I keep, you know, flipping through my phone and the blue yeah. light is just, whoosh, you know, saturating yeah. my face. And I've got a big ass flat screen TV <laughs> mounted on my bedroom wall yeah. and you know, Guilty. HDTV is blaring at me. Somebody's building a birdhouse and you don't want to miss that at 11 o'clock. <laughs> so I've got that going. I've got my phone going and then I turn off the light and it's like, yeah. Okay. What happens? Yeah. yeah it, it's, I, uh, it, it's very rotations common. Rotations in the ceiling fan. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, full disclosure, you know, I, I have never had any particular problems sleeping. Uh, a lot of people go into a field because they have had particular mm-hmm. problems with mm-hmm. that. And, and mm-hmm. uh, the old saying in graduate school is research is me search, you know. So now that might be true for the addiction piece uh, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah, the sleep yeah. part I have not had trouble with. However... I do many of the same things as you, David. Mm. I've got a, a, a big uh, TV in my room. My phone is on the nightstand next to me. I do put it on Do Not Disturb these days, actually, uh, because it dings with emails that come through during the night and uh-huh. those types of things otherwise. Um, but here's the thing. I, I just haven't had much trouble sleeping. Knock on wood, um, by good fortune, uh, mm-hmm. for various different reasons, it has, has not been too much of an issue for me. But those types of things are very common. Let's take the light factor, for example. So we're looking into the screen of a handheld device, whether it's uh, you know a, a, a smartphone or mm-hmm. a, a tablet. Um, bright light is um, hitting our eyes, um, mm-hmm. travels back to the photoreceptors, which send some signals to a certain part of the brain, telling the wake pathway in the brain to light up. Mm-hmm. So counter to that, there is a sleep pathway in the brain. Mm-hmm. And these two pathways in the brain operate um, in a manner consistent with what electrical engineers used to call a flip-flop switch back in the day. In other words, when one system is activated, the other is suppressed and vice Mm -hmm. versa. Mm -hmm. So it stands to reason when it comes to sleep, right? When the wake system in the brain is activated, then the sleep system is suppressed Mm -hmm. and sleep's not going to happen. Vice versa, when the sleep system in the brain is activated, the wake system is suppressed. So when we expose our eyeballs (laughs) to bright light, Um, And there are signals sent through those photoreceptors in the eyes to the brain that activate the wake signaling system. Mm -hmm. Then the sleep system is suppressed. And lo and behold, when we turn off those devices, whether it's the TV or some other type of screen like a smartphone or a tablet, that wake system is in high gear and we're wide awake and we think, oh, no, here we go again. That's the automatic thought, right? Mm-hmm. How long am I going to be awake? Am I mm-hmm. going to be awake two, three more hours? Uh-oh, I've got A, B, and C to do first thing tomorrow morning. I can't be tired for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we awfulize, we catastrophize, and the bedroom becomes a battleground. And here's the tricky part of it. This can become such a conditioned state of hyperarousal in the bedroom Mm -hmm. that some people actually cross the threshold to their bedroom, enter that room, which is supposed to be a sanctuary, a place Mm -hmm. of restoration and Mm -hmm. relaxation, and the automatic thought simply by entering the bedroom becomes, oh no, here we go again. Mm-hmm. So now they haven't even touched their bed yet, mm-hmm. um, and they have awfulized themselves out of a night's sleep. It's a very, very common phenomenon, and this wow. state of hyperarousal results as uh, as part of that process, and um, it becomes conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I, I can give you a good example of what we would rather create um, as part of our sleep experience in our bedrooms at night. Yes. Um, it's my airplane seat story. Um, <laughs> I, w- I went to graduate school out in California in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I'm from Virginia. Mm-hmm. So a couple times a year while I was out there, um, I would travel back home to Virginia to see my family. Um, and, you know, I quite frankly was an active addiction at the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, life was a bit of a party. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was not real diligent around bedtimes, et cetera. Uh-huh. So I was often up late. And quite frankly, before I would travel and, and get on those long flights back Mm -hmm. to the East Coast, I would sleep deprive myself because I like to sleep on the flight or flights back. Mm. Um, So I would often get on a plane in California. I would typically fly out of San Francisco or San Jose um, on two, three, four hours of sleep, severely Mm. sleep deprived. Um, Well, lo and behold, within minutes of um, getting on the plane and settling in, uh, you know, the air blowing from the little vent over your head and kind of the hustle and bustle and the dinging and people moving around Mm -hmm. and the smells, everything, I developed a conditioned response to falling asleep in an airplane seat very, very easily. In fact, rarely would I make the takeoff. The nose of the Mm -hmm. plane would be lifting off and I would kind of settle back in my seat even Mm -hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And um, I was off to the races sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, these days I'm much more responsible, I like to think. <laughs> uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in recovery. Um, I do get an adequate amount of sleep typically on a night-to-night basis. But guess what happens to me when I get into an airplane seat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a hard time holding my eyes open right? Yeah. because I have a conditioned response to that airplane seat, that set of circumstances, that mm-hmm. physical surrounding, mm-hmm. um, that condition that I'm in mm-hmm. compels me to activate my sleep signaling system and my wake signaling system in the brain is suppressed. And lo and behold, I uh, drift off to sleep before we can take off, typically. Wow. And, and yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of embarrassing, actually, these <laughs> days. I, I can't stay awake for anything. Um, that's the kind of conditioning response. Mm-hmm. We call it stimulus control in mm-hmm. the sleep world. The stimulus for me falling asleep is that set of conditions. That's what we want our bedroom to be like, like mm-hmm. the airplane seat is for me. Okay. And unfortunately, for most people who have insomnia, they've been conditioned the exact opposite way. Mm. It's a conditioned response that involves this state of hyperarousal, worry, being frantic about, oh no, I can't sleep again tonight, and mm-hmm. all of the things that I'm going to be inadequate at tomorrow in terms right. of my functioning. Um, and we have this kind of black and white view of sleep as human beings. You know, um, I'm guilty of this too. Good night's sleep equals great day. Bad mm-hmm. night's sleep equals awful day. And I'm probably mm-hmm. going to lose my job and my spouse is going to want to divorce me and I'm going 
going to be a yeah. cruddy parent, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. It's just not true. Mm-hmm. If we go back and explore the data, this is the cognitive part of cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia, mm-hmm. is exploring some of those really, quite frankly, irrational cognitions, those mm-hmm. cognitive distortions we have around sleep. It's usually not that black and white. I can think of many days, if I get real about it, where I didn't sleep particularly well, and the next day I thought, huh. I actually feel really good today or vice versa where I slept, you know, eight, nine hours and thought I slept like a champ and actually get up and I just feel kind of foggy and tired all day. Yeah. So it's just not that simple of a black and white type formula. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing, right? What we do with the sleep. It is. It's a big, it's a big freaking deal. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It is. And and I would throw this out too. So insomnia, we've talked about breathing related sleep disorders Mm -hmm. like sleep apnea. We've talked about, there are some others that are fairly common, um, Mm -hmm. restless leg syndrome, which uh, is aptly named. And and along with that, a lot of times goes something called periodic leg movement disorder, which is like, what do we know about restless leg? What causes it and how do we treat yeah, there are, are um, lots of treatments available, and quite frankly, a lot of them may be behavioral in nature, and some of them are more medically oriented in nature. Um, so there are certain things that might predispose us toward having restless leg syndrome. Restless leg syndrome, by the way, is a creepy, crawly feeling in your legs, irresistible urge to move the legs, typically in the evening right as we're getting ready to go off to sleep. So mm-hmm. it's before we initiate sleep and um, settling in and and trying to get still to go to sleep actually triggers that restlessness in the legs. So wow. it's the exact wrong time for it to happen. And movement helps typically is what you hear from people. Um, so um, there are things that can make us more predisposed to having this restless legs feeling. Um, caffeine is one. And let's face it, that's our drug of choice in mm-hmm. our society, mm-hmm. right? Sure. The yeah. amount of caffeine that people put into their system is phenomenal. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to speak out of turn, but Starbucks, for example, talks about selling a cup of coffee and they have, you know, a Trenti, which is 30 yeah. ounces. That is not a cup of coffee, by yeah. the way. That's several <laughs> cups of coffee. Yeah. It just happens to be in one container. So uh-huh. we say we had a one cup of coffee a day and it's not true um we abuse caffeine routinely and caffeine has a long half-life and hangs around in our system for quite a while so you can imagine the cascading impact of caffeine on our sleep um caffeine is one factor alcohol is a factor now you're stepping on my toes Uh, (laughs) we were going fine right up until then okay okay well as they say if you spot it you got it so i brought it up (laughs) okay okay but nonetheless alcohol uh increases a predisposition toward restless legs type of activity so people who do factory work or on hard surfaces all day those Mm -hmm. types of things certain antihistamines like people take benadryl for Mm -hmm. sleep and lo Mm -hmm. and behold they about wear a hole in their sheets because their legs move as they're trying to get off to sleep Um, there are a couple types of um, gastroesophageal reflux medications that can increase a predisposition toward it and certain medications for depression and anxiety can increase one's predisposition toward having restless leg syndrome so those things are really important to explore and sometimes with some minor adjustments or relatively minor adjustments in discussion with a a knowledgeable person on restless leg syndrome um, some changes can be implemented that can provide symptom relief the other factor is there's an iron marker called ferritin that is not typically checked as part of routine lab work so when someone checks your total iron blood content they don't typically check this marker called ferritin Um, the short story is that low ferritin 
often levels translate to restless leg syndrome symptoms. Hmm. And low ferritin levels can typically be fixed by way of 90 days worth of fairly intensive iron replacement therapy. And here's the great part. If you can get your restless leg syndrome fixed by way of iron replacement therapy, the results are typically permanent. I know that's hard to believe, but here with an over-the-counter supplement, you can fix this problem that's a game changer for people. Um, Now, beyond that, if you have true restless leg syndrome, um, there are medications out there as well that are pretty effective for this. And you've probably seen some of them at night on Mm -hmm. the HGTV, the commercials that come up. You typically see commercials (laughs) Uh for insomnia drugs and restless leg syndrome drugs because they're targeting you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lunesta used to have one with uh, the glowing. It looked like a butterfly, but it's actually a Luna moth, believe it or not. But it 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 kind of quietly flapped its wings and Uh had this kind of glowing sense to it. And um, people would lie there in bed, tossing and turning, watching TV, thinking, "Boy, I wish I could go to sleep like those people do." That looks like a really peaceful commercial. Likewise, the restless leg syndrome drugs kind of target that population as well. The medications are less needed these days now that the research has revealed all of these other types of behavioral solutions and or solutions related to ferritin levels as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I had a relationship with Lunesta back when I was drinking. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Long <Wow>. affair. <laughs> yeah, that was actually the first drug that came out that had FDA approval for both sleep onset and sleep maintenance. The getting uh-huh. to sleep and the staying asleep, if you will. And there are others now as well, a couple others, um, most recently one called Belsamra that um, had an indication for both totally different mechanism of action. So there are medications out there, and, and believe me, um, I, I personally think that you know if you can treat insomnia without a medication, yeah. my hat's off to you. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's a great option, particularly for folks who are in recovery. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. A particularly sure. good option. Um, folks in recovery oftentimes operate by the old uh, MO of, well, if one works well, boy, two or three will probably work great, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, uh, awesome. we tend to overdo things in yeah, our yeah. world. Um, yeah. so, so if you can do it without medication, great. But there are people, I want to put it out there, that have a legitimate need for medications. And there are certain medications that, of course, have FDA indication and are very safe um, for treating uh, trouble sleeping. Um, the other disorders beyond that that I were going to mention, you know, they're, they're what we call parasomnias, kind of these more bizarre type uh, aberrant behaviors during the night. You're sleepwalking and thrashing about during sleep, sleep talking. Mm-hmm. The newest sleep, dis- one of the newest sleep disorders out there is sleep texting, believe it or not. Oh, that wow. is a disorder. And really, I would put that in the same category as sleepwalking and these other non-REM sleep kind of parasomnia disorders. They're routine teen type mm-hmm. behaviors and um, for better or for worse in our society texting has become fairly routine mm-hmm. for us so people lo and behold will pick up their phone off the nightstand and you know text an old girlfriend imagine wow. the trouble you get into yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. or various away. other people yeah. um, much to their dismay we've had people that shop during the night um, mm-hmm. there are certain sleep drugs that can cause um, complex sleep-related behaviors. Um, You know, one of them out there, and I'll I'll just refrain from naming it, but you probably can deduce which one it is, has been in the media for causing uh, sleep driving and various other things. Um, I encountered someone who went 
to Walmart and spent uh, almost $400 at Walmart. Um, woke up in the morning and uh, to his confusion and dismay, there were Walmart bags all over his living room floor. <laughs> and as oh he God. thought, where did these come from? Yeah. And explored through the bags, random things from Q-tips to romaine lettuce to, you know, <laughs> uh, rubber gardening oh. shoes. Um, <laughs> he pulled the receipt out and saw a checkout time, self-checkout time of, you know, 3.32 uh, a.m. Wow. Isn't that remarkable? Wow. Drove himself to the store, That's spent scary. almost $400, checked yeah. himself out after 3.30 wow. a.m., brought all the bags in, Wow. And got back in bed and had no recollection of any of it. It's scary stuff. Yeah. That yeah. is yeah. bizarre. That's Isn't it? The brain is a strange thing, my friends. It really is. There's no question. Well, yeah. I have the sense that we could, you could talk on this subject for another three hours. Well, huh? it's, it's one of my favorite subjects oh. to talk about. Yeah. And it kills me that uh, time has flown so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Occasionally, we invite guests back, and I that, Brian's going to be in that category. I oh, yeah. Tell. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely you. do a part two. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But but before we let you go, what can you tell our listeners about what you're doing now and, if you wish, how they can reach you? Yeah, I um, serve in a role currently with a company called Journey Pure. I'm the vice president of clinical operations. We are an addiction and co-occurring treatment disorders company. Um, I also do various consulting uh, jobs, uh, the main one of which is as director of clinical strategy with a fantastic addiction and co-occurring treatment disorders company called Stonewater Adolescent mm -hmm. Recovery Center in Oxford, mm -hmm. Mississippi. Um, so we treat uh, teens there. So I kind of do the full spectrum from, you know, age 12 all the way up through the older adult years. Um, I am always happy to connect with people. Um, my primary email address is bwind at journeypure.com. That's bwind, W-I-N-D, at journeypure.com. Mm -hmm. I love fielding questions. I love steering people in the right direction. And by the way, as part of my work at both Journey Pure and at Stonewater, we've implemented a lot of behavioral sleep wellness initiatives. Mm. Um, because to me... Um, Addiction, and, and most importantly, the early recovery phase, uh, we are absolutely remiss if we don't pay attention to what I call the three pillars of behavioral health. That would be sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Mm -hmm. So my goal for the people that I encounter is to give them a total design for healthy living. Recommendations for recovery meetings and doing 90 and 90 and all of that are fantastic, a very important part of the continuing care planning. However, we are putting people out on a journey with the wrong roadmap if we're not paying attention to that total design for healthy living by way of these other behavioral interventions in the worlds of sleep and nutrition and exercise. Size. So that's yeah. kind of my uh, mantra. <laughs> Preach <and mission>. it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Absolutely. For uh, making the drive down here, taking time out of your very busy schedule to uh, share with us and with our listeners. Uh, wow. What, yeah. a, what a full... I've got some homework to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, listeners, stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast.
Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, I have a page full of notes that <laughs> I, have, I have got to go home and do some restructuring yeah. on my sleep uh, style, lifestyle. Yeah. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about what uh, Dr. Brian Wind brought to us today. As much as, you know, we focused on some wonderful aspects of sleep, but it is a life, uh, it is a lifestyle issue just like recovery as part of recovery right right um but man did he nail it you know and i loved the way he closed when he talked about how you know it's more than just getting people to stop their addictive behavior Mm -hmm. we're not just going to send them away from a treatment center hoping that they don't use again right Uh, it's about a a healthy lifestyle and i tend i've paid a lot of attention to diet and exercise Mm -hmm. Uh, people have directed me in that uh, during my 20 years in recovery. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't heard a lot about sleep. Yeah. And he puts it up there as one of the big three. One of the big ones. Yeah. 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 And I'm already noticing just with that, and thank you again, just with the one alteration that I made to my daily routine by eliminating alcohol from my evenings. Actually, I've eliminated alcohol from my life. But... Um, And now to be able to track, which is something I wouldn't have been able to do without the aid of modern technology, the fact that I've got these apps on my phone, Mm -hmm. and I wear this smartwatch. It looks like an Apple Watch, but it's a Chinese knockoff. I bought this for 35 bucks. That's awesome. That's the one I need. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it tracks my sleep, right? Right. And so I can get a readout in the morning. I can see graphed how long I slept, how much of it was deep sleep, how Mm -hmm. much of it was light sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to stopping the drinking Mm -hmm. uh, and prior to the weight loss that I've experienced partly as uh, as I've stopped drinking, uh, I didn't get a whole lot of deep sleep during the course of a typical night. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It's amazing to see how much more deep sleep I'm getting. And now that I I, I downloaded this other app called Snore Lab, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is just recording while I sleep. Yeah. Um, I can see that, you know, the, the severity and length of my snoring dramatically decreasing. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff, uh, you know, we don't, we don't just, uh, tell people to stop to be killjoys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that really does impact the way we, the way we feel and function and live. Yeah. And I know that if I don't get enough sleep and if I am impaired in my sleep, uh, my, fuse is short and I'm not uh, on top of my game and my brain is foggy and it's just not a good, it's not a good uh, way to try to function. And to do that repeatedly with something that we can do as simply as removing alcohol from bedtime, you know, is a, is a great way to start. So I'm glad, um, I'm glad we got to address all that with him today. And Nate, can we thank our listeners without, without sounding too self- aggrandizing mm-hmm. uh, for this dubious honor that we got this yeah, week that we how, found out about. Yeah, how cool was that? That was fun. Yeah. And uh, uh, we have hit uh, the, the ranking of num- uh, number 12. We're on number the top, 12. On the top 25 uh, sobriety podcasts worldwide. Yes. How and cool is that? That is very cool. And listeners, thank you for sharing our podcast with your family, friends, and for being faithful listeners and for rating us well where you've had the opportunity. Nate and Rex and I are 
uh, just super grateful for that. That was that was just a real fun thing. Yeah. You know, I've said before, it feels like sometimes you do a podcast, you put a message in a bottle, throw it in the ocean, <laughs> and hope somebody hears it. You know. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, they somebody do. found the somebody bottle. found the bottle. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you for that. It was yeah. it was a fun thing to find out. Hey, we'd love to hear from you too, listeners. We always uh, love checking the mailbag, see whether we've got uh, some feedback or encouragement or suggestions from our listeners. As always, you can reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Well, I guess that's a wrap for another week. Until next Thursday. Well, until next Thursday, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 